Good morning, Crossroads. Great to see you guys here. And I don't know about you, I'm starting to anticipate Easter. I'm getting excited about it. I hope you are as well. Egg drop had something to do with that, right? We, uh, we all got wind burnt, and uh, of us that didn't put on sunscreen got sunburnt. Anybody else got that raccoon look going on like me? That's my dummy stamp, man. I forgot to put sunscreen on yesterday, but awesome. And let me just say what Eric said. You guys represented Christ so well to our community. Everyone's attitude was unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you for showing Christ to the people who came to that event. It was incredible. Uh, we're anticipating Easter here at Crossroads also through the Go Big initiative. Uh, we're praying for lost people. We're trying to, trying to hang out with them a little bit and inviting them to church on Easter Sunday or, or sharing the good news with them. I pray that you'll do in that. We got three weeks to go, and it's, it's imperative that we be about Christ's mission leading up to Easter. And then also, this is easy, um, we need you to take a selfie. On the way out today, there's a little uh, selfie station here and a, and a place where you can learn how to upload it to your favorite uh, social media group platform. But we need those pictures for Easter Sunday. So if you'll do us the favor of taking a selfie, you can do it in a group or individually. If you'll do that on the way out, that'd really help us. We're Finally, we're anticipating Easter through this sermon series that we're doing, The One and Only. And in this series, we're looking at the different names of Jesus that came from the book of Isaiah, a book that was written so that we would anticipate the coming of Christ. And so, um, and so we're looking at that. We looked last week at Jesus being called the righteous one. Today, we're looking at a name. Maybe you've never heard him being called before. It's the branch. The branch. And so that's what we're looking at today. And it's about the lineage of Jesus. We're going to look at about 4,000 years of history. So I hope you brought a lunch with you. It might take a little while. No, I promise we'll get done here in about an hour uh, total. So uh, it's going to be good. We're going to look at just how specifically and intricately God had planned Jesus Christ to come long before it happened, that he fulfilled all these things in history leading up to Christ's coming. And it's beyond coincidence. This is what I want you to see today. It's beyond coincidence. It's providence. It's the handiwork of Almighty God laying out the course of human history so he could prove that Jesus was the son of the living God. And that's what Easter is all about, right? Now, any gamblers in the group? Nobody's going to admit that in church, right? <laughs> like, uh, no, is this a trick question? Uh, let me ask it this way. Does it, did anybody put money on the brackets in March Madness and still have a perfect bracket? That's what I thought. It's been, it's been madness this year, right? It's been crazy. How many of you have ever gone into Vegas on fumes and a few dollars in your, in your pocket and you walked out with a fortune? Nobody, right? <laughs> That's because we... Listen, what I'm going to show us today from God's word is the odds of Jesus fulfilling all that God said he would fulfill on accident is impossible. It's impossible. It's the handiwork of God. And what I want us to, if you're a follower of Christ, what I want it to do is to strengthen your resolve that God is working all things for his good, all things for our good. He's working the plan of history. And we can trust him and we can trust his promises and it would strengthen our faith and we'd be more bold and brave to live for him and proclaim him to the people that need to know him. So let's dive in Isaiah chapter 11. We're gonna look at this passage. It says this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch. See that uh, uppercase branch? 
will bear his fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he, he, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. God is promising someone called the branch, a he, a person who would come. We know him as the, as, as, from the name Jesus, but someone that would come from the line of this guy named Jesse, the father of King David, that would come and do something pretty amazing. Now, our passage starts here, but in reality, this promise of God and this working of God goes all the way back to the very beginning of human history, to the, the very beginning of where Adam and Eve came on the scene and a promise God made to them. So I'm going to start, I'm going to try to draw this out for you a little bit. Um, they gave me a really oversized marker. Uh, I love it. And uh, I'm going to try, hopefully you can see this. But it started with Adam and Eve, and just for sake, I'm not going to write her name. Adam and Eve, it started way back then that God had made a promise. As he getting kicked out of the garden and God curses different people, he curses Satan last of all. He says this. So the Lord said to the serpent, who is Satan? Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust of the earth all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, here's a he again, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So way back at the very beginning, God's saying there's a he, there's one who's coming, there's a one and only who's going to be delivered into this world, who's going to rectify all that is being broken in this very moment. He's coming. And the New Testament, a passage in Galatians 3, kind of clarifies this for us a little bit, and it says this, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What is it talking about here? The word for seed and the word for offspring, they're interchangeable here. And I want you to see when he's talking about this one seed or this one offspring, this he, this one to come, the one who would crush Satan, he's talking about the exact same person in Galatians as they did in Genesis 3. That there's not a nation that God's going to deliver uh, and, and make a promise to, but there is a person, this person of Jesus Christ, who God was going to use to restore all things. And so from ground zero, God calls his shot. He calls his shot. He says, I'm going to send somebody who's going to crush Satan. In the whole mess that, that humanity has become and all the problems that we'll face and all the things that we wish were different and the paradise that was lost from the garden and everything that's jacked up in this life, there is one who's coming who's going to be the solution to all those things. And he's going to crush Satan's head and he's going to undo the work that Satan has done in the garden. He's coming. He's coming. And his name is the branch in Isaiah 11. His name is the branch. He's going to come from God, but he's going to be born of a woman. Now, did any of y'all play horse just in the backyard? You've played horse, right? If you don't want to be out there that long, you play pig, right? You just want to get it over with? <laughs> oh, I missed three shots. I'm out. Okay, it's all right. Uh, we play horse. It's like God's calling his shot here. He's, he's going to make a very specific claim to, a, to Adam and then on down the line. He's saying, listen, I'm going to send somebody, and you're going to be able to recognize him because it's so specific of a shot. It's like when you're playing horse, you've got your trick shot that gets everybody else out, right? you got one shot, like behind the backboard. 
Yeah, you got the one shot you can make, no one else can make. Well, God steps back to half court, and he says, this is going off the glass. Like, if it goes straight in, it doesn't count. I'm off the glass. I'm calling my shot, okay? We're going to see. He makes it a little more complicated than that. So time passes from Adam. There's... Um, there's a wickedness, and so there's a flood, and then the population's reduced to eight people, and then Noah and his family come out, and they start multiplying, and we'll see from Genesis chapter 10 that a myriad of nations develop. Genesis 10 lists them all. It's really boring reading. It's all the ites you just skip over, the Hittites and the Parasites and the Jebusites. You caught me. You got me, didn't you? All right. All those ites, all those nations... It's like, surely God's going to pick a nation, but he doesn't. He picks a person. He picks one person. Instead of, instead of keeping his options open, he, he goes down to one man to call his next shot. And uh, his name's Abraham. The God, when he said, okay, it's time for me, this promise I made to Adam, I'm going to finally... Start making that happen. He picks one person named Abram. We know him as Abraham. And he starts making his plan known. And so he goes back to half court. He says, it's going to be off the glass. He says, but it's going to be nothing but net. If it touches the rim, it doesn't count. All right, it's going to come from a man named Abraham. And so let me write his name here. Now, we took all the different people of the world and all the different nations and just one man that's very narrow, right? It's a very specific claim that God's making here. And this is what he says to Abram. The Lord said to him, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, he asked something of him. He, he said, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be some sacrifice that's going to require you something. You're going to have to trust me. You're not going to know the outcome before you follow me, but I still want you to follow me. And that, that sounded scary. So then he gave him some really great news. And then he says, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I'll make your name great. Who wouldn't want God to say that to them? He said, I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And then this is the cool part. And all people of the earth will be blessed through you. God makes an incredible promise that I'm not going to just bless you. The reason I'm blessing you, Abraham, the reason I'm doing these great things in your life is so that I can ultimately bless all people through you. And so Abraham has a son named Isaac. And Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob, right? Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, and he has 12 sons, and those are known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And so God widens it again. It's just from these one man, now there's 12 sons, but out of those 12 sons, God says, listen, that's too broad. I, I don't want anyone to steal my glory. I don't want there to be any idea of coincidence here. I'm going to pick one tribe, Judah, out of all those tribes. To fulfill my promise to Abraham and to Adam. One tribe. Listen to what he says to Judah. He says, To the tribe of Judah, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he, here's another he, he, he who comes, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations 
shall be his. What he's saying is this roy- there's going to be a royal line that will rule over the nation of Israel. There'll be, there'll be one line. It'll come from the line of Judah. And these descendants are going to not just rule over, uh, over Israel, but ultimately there's one who's going to come who shall rule over the nations from the line of Judah. There's going to be a final king who will come and take his place as the ruler and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to rule the nations. So God steps back to half court, says it's going to go off the glass, nothing but net. I'm going to shoot it left-handed. You know God's right-handed, right? If you're left-handed, I'm sorry, God's right-handed. He says, I'm going to shoot this left-handed. I'm calling my shot. I'm making it more specific. I'm making it harder for it to be coincidence. And generations pass, and these tribes are enslaved in Egypt, and then they God delivers them miraculously through, through his power and he's glorified in that and then they go through the wilderness and then they're, they, they finally enter the promised land and, and they take the territory God had said that would be theirs and then, he, um, and then the time of the judges come and then Samuel comes and Samuel is a prophet who's God's using to rule over the nation of Israel. But they said, listen, we don't want a prophet. We don't want a spiritual leader. We want a king. We want a secular leader like all the other nations. We don't want God to be our king. We want a human to be our king. And God says, fine, you can have a king. And so he gives them King Saul. And Saul was not much of a king. And Saul disobeyed God and didn't follow after God. And so God said, I got to find a new king. And so he goes to the house of Jesse. Have we heard that name before? He goes to the house of Jesse. God told Samuel to anoint one of the sons of Jesse. Jesse had a bunch of sons. He said, one of those sons is going to be my king. One of those sons is going to be after king after my own heart. And he's going to lead my people the way they need to be led. And after 300 years, from Judah to Jesse, God picks a man, David, King David. And during, uh, during David's reign, things were good, but then 300 years go by, and our passage in Isaiah that God has given to the prophet 300 years after David had come, He's wanting to remind his people, listen, I promised that someone was going to come. This branch was going to come. This Savior is going to come. The one who's going to undo the work of the evil one's going to come. This final king is going to come. And yet uh, when, when Isaiah stepped on the scene, uh, uh, Israel was in rebellion to God, and he came to warn them, if you don't change your ways, God is going to bring destruction on you. But he also came to remind them that this promise that was made to David is still to be, I'm sorry, the promise that was made um, yeah, to David, is still be fulfilled. In fact, this is what he told David. Second Samuel chapter 7, he says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And this promise that was made to Judah, he's saying, now David, this promise is now your promise, that there's not just going to be a ruler that comes from Judah, there's going to be a ruler that comes from your own line. This one who is to come that I talked about long ago, that I reminded to Abraham, that I said was still coming, he's still coming and he's going to come through you, David. And I love the description we get of Jesus 
this, the branch here in, in, um, in Isaiah 11. I want to read it again. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch that will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So we'll know who he is by the spirit of God residing on him. He'll have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. He's going to say things and do things so wise it's going to blow our minds. And we're going to recognize him because he's going to have a spirit of, of counsel and might. He's going to always know the right thing and do the right thing. We're going to see signs and wonders that are going to be performed through him because he's going to have God's mighty power on him. He's going to have a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He's going to delight in doing all that pleases the Father all the time. And what God's saying is you're not going to have a hard time recognizing this righteous one, this branch. He's going to be like anyone else you've ever seen. He's going to be easy to pick out. And God's saying, you remember when I told Jesse the branch was coming? I haven't forgotten. I'm still sending him. The son I delight in. Just like I promised David. 600 years pass from Isaiah. It's more time. And then we get to Matthew chapter 1. And we get introduced to somebody we all know. Well, at least we've heard of him. And it says this this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of, who does it say? the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, isn't it remarkable but that the first gospel in our New Testament starts in the first verse with these words. He's saying, listen, this is the, the genealogy. Don't miss this. There's a connection here to Abraham and the promise of one who would come and bless all nations. There's a connection here to when I said someone who would come and destroy Satan's work. There's a connection here when I promised there would always be a king ruling over you and he's going to be a righteous king, the final king who would subdue the nations. This one is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And God's called a shot. Blindfolded, left-handed, bank it off the glass, nothing but net. He's like, I'm making it unmistakable. I don't want you to miss this, that the God of history and orchestrating all these events, everything that would take place before Jesus was ever born, I'm going to make it so specific of who could actually fulfill all these prophecies. It's going to be undeniable that when he comes, it's actually him. My branch, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, God leaves no mystery through the course of history, about who Jesus is. And that's in your blank. So the God of history leaves no mystery about who Jesus is. He makes it crystal clear through all these different things, everything we just read, that Jesus was the one who was to come. In fact, he says it again in, um, in chapter uh, 1 of Matthew, verse 20, when an angel's talking to Joseph. And Joseph, he says, uh, he is the son. He calls him the son of David. You know what? That, that in this lineage of David, the, the adopted father of Jesus, Joseph, was in the line of David. Most scholars think Mary came from the line of David. Is that a coincidence? 
Or did the God of history orchestrate events so you and I would not have a hope so about Jesus Christ, so we would have a foundational understanding that he is who the scriptures said he is and that he came to do what only he could do. He is the one and only. In fact, one time when uh, it says in Matthew chapter 12, and they cried out, could this be the son of David? Do you know what they're saying? They made the connection from all that they understood from the Old Testament prophecies about what Jesus was and who he was supposed to be and his lineage. And they said, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the son of David. We've been waiting a thousand years to come. It wasn't lost on them. And then on Palm Sunday, just a week before Easter, it says this in Matthew 21, the crowds went ahead of him and those that shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They're going, this is him. He's finally here. The son of David has come. We're in historic times. We get to celebrate because the long-awaited Savior has finally come. And they recognized Jesus for who he was. But I want you to understand, a week later, they were yelling, crucify him. Crucify him. You say, how in the world could they go from saying, this is the son of David, the savior of the world, to crucify him? So they recognized him for who he was, but they completely misunderstood Jesus' purpose. They completely missed why he had come. Because they were looking for a king who would give them what they wanted, a king that would get them out of Roman rule and get them in their own nation and be able to govern themselves and be able to go about their lives the way they wanted. They were looking for a king. They were not looking for a savior who would bleed and die. So let me just ask you, this is a really important question, is what are you looking for from God? Are you looking for what you think you need from him? Are you looking for him what he says you absolutely need. Because what he says you and I need is a savior. More than we need a provider, more than we need a counselor, more than we need anything we want God to do for us, we need a savior who will rescue us from our sins. God says that is what you and I need. And that, my friends, is why Jesus Christ came. That's exactly why he came to be the savior of the world and be the savior for each and every one of us. And God is saying in this, listen, your hope is not going to be found in your own obedience to the law. Your hope is not going to be found in your own righteousness. Your hope is not going to be found in your own faithfulness to do the things you think you need to do to please me. Your hope isn't going to be found in any of those things. Your only hope is found in my faithfulness, God says. My faithfulness, that would send someone who would bless all people. I would send someone who's going to be the king that we're finally satisfied in. I was going to send someone who will rule on David's throne, and I'll send the one who will finally put an end to suffering. God says, I'll do all that. That your hope and your right standing with me isn't found in a religious system. It's found in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. See, we can't follow God's rules well enough. We can't pray hard enough. We can't give enough. We can't do anything enough to earn a right standing with God. The, the reality is, is that the only way 
is through Jesus Christ. There is a way. It's just not our way. It's his way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the only way. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And while you and I long to provide our own solution for the problem of sin and suffering in our own lives, the reality is God says, I have the solution. And that's why my son came. And I hope you see nothing about Jesus' coming was by accident. That God has arranged history. He's arranged it so we would recognize Jesus when he did come. Now that he has come, we can clearly see that he is who the scriptures said he is and that he came to do what only he can do. That the God of history leaves no mystery about who Jesus is. In fact, I believe it's so clear. I think some people react. They say it's so obvious and so precise in how Jesus came and the lineage he came and the time that he came and the way that he came that, that the Christians must have taken these old documents and doctored them and changed them in order to fit the narrative because it's just too clean. But it isn't because those things have been doctored. Because these original scriptures weren't given to the Christians. They were delivered to the Jews. And the Jewish texts and their, and their scriptures today match what your Bible and my Bible say about the coming of the Savior. It's not doctored, it's divine. It's God's handiwork in history. It's God's clear plan to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. I want you to see that God wasn't surprised when Adam and Eve made the faithful choice all that time ago and, and they wrecked this planet and they wrecked our nature and they changed things about this world that can't be fixed except through Jesus Christ, that, that didn't leave God at a loss. Like he's not, I think some of us think that God is like this, this master chess player that the humanity does this, so I need, to, I need to figure out my next move to kind of keep us on track. And that's not, that's not what we see. That God clearly had a plan long before this all began. And he laid it out. It wasn't as if God wasted thousands of years trying to figure out how to rescue us. And then Jesus showed up on the scene and he looked like a pretty good guy. So I think I'll just use him for my purposes. No. God clearly worked through history so we could have confidence that Jesus Christ came as the salvation and the plan of God for all who believe in him. That God sent Jesus to restore mankind to himself, to restore relationship with him. That he is the one. He is the righteous one. He will crush Satan. He will be the king of all kings. That he will be the blessing to the nations. That he would be the stump of Jesse. That he would be the savior of the world. That's why in the scriptures in, in Revelation chapter 13, I love this description of Jesus. It calls him the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. You know what that's saying? Long before any of this happened, long before the six days of creation, long before Adam and Eve made this choice, God knew everything that was going to happen. Nothing has occurred to him. Nothing is new to him. And he knew all that was going to happen. He said, listen, before I do any of this, I know it's going to cost me my son, Jesus Christ. They're going to rebel against me. They're going to choose their own way. They're going to do their own thing. And I'm, my son is going to have to lay his life down in a bloody sacrifice for them. 
and I will send him as the lamb to be slain because I love them, because I love them. There's no other explanation but the love of God, that he would do that. He would know all these things and that all the tragedy that would come and that he would still choose to send his son so he could have a relationship with you and I. It's an incredible love. So when this world began, and ever since that fateful choice, the greatest concern of God is reconciling you and I back to himself, restoring a relationship, making it possible for people to know him in a personal way. That's what God has always wanted since the beginning of the world, restoration and relationship. And when he does that, when, when you and I receive that by faith, we can have life in his name. We can have life today and an abundant life that Jesus promises, and we can have an eternal life because Jesus has conquered the things that would prevent those things. Look at what Revelation 5, 5 says. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, of David, has triumphed. I got good news today, guys. Jesus Christ has triumphed. He's triumphed over the sting of sin, the things that you and I are ashamed of. Jesus Christ took them upon a cross and he paid in full the, the penalty that you and I deserved. He gladly bore those things so that they could be paid for in full and he conquered the sin of death. He defeated sin and he defeated death. The reason Jesus Christ rose from the dead is he was the son of the living God, proving who he was. If Jesus had died on the cross and not rose from the dead, we'd be wasting our time. But the good news is that Jesus rose from the dead and he defeated and he conquered death. And he offers life to all who believe in him. That's some good news. See, the God of love, this relational God who loves you, and from the moment things went south, he had a plan to bring you back into a relationship with him. The God of love, offers you life, and that life is found in Jesus Christ. There's no other place that it can be found. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what all of life is about. That's what your life is about, is a love relationship with your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. See, what Israel didn't understand is that Jesus wasn't coming once. This Messiah wasn't coming once. The branch wasn't coming once. That he's actually coming twice. In the first time we saw him come 2,000 years ago, Jesus came as that lamb who would suffer and die and pay the penalty for our sin and defeat death so that we could be forgiven by God and accepted by God and have a relationship with Almighty God. And that he's coming back a second time as king, as ruler as Lord of Lords. He'll sit on David's throne and he'll fulfill all the other promises that have yet to be fulfilled. He'll subdue nations and he will rule this world the way it was intended to be ruled and he'll get the glory and the honor that he alone deserves. Do you know what that means? We can't plead ignorance on this. What the nation of Israel missed is now obvious to us that the God of history left no mystery, not only about the plan to bring Jesus into the world, but the purpose for why he came, that you and I could be restored to our heavenly father. So the question this morning is how we respond to that. 
Listen, if you've never opened your heart to the love that God has for you, that Jesus Christ laid down his life, not just as an intellectual exercise, but recognizing he did that for you, that the penalty of your sin hangs in the balance, and yet Jesus Christ died in your place. If you've never opened your heart to say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness and acceptance in my life, man, we should respond because God has made it painfully clear he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. You can make that decision today. And if you're a a believer in Christ Jesus, I I just want to end with a story. A young man I met at the gym a few months back and and, uh, got to talk to him about his faith. And I asked him if he he knew Christ, if he had ever made that decision to receive Jesus into his life. And he gave that a lot of thought. And he finally said, yeah, I have. I have. I said, that's cool, man. I'm glad that you have. That's awesome. I said, so tell me about, like, are you... Do you want to learn more about him? Do you have a desire and a hunger to know God better? Do you, do you want to live your life for him? Do you want to grow? Do you want to study the Bible? Do you, do you want to learn how to pray? Like, like, do you want to get into this? Do you want this to be kind of like a part of your life and not just a decision you made, but, but actually make this an important part, of, in fact, the main part of your life? And he thought about that. He said, no, I really don't. And I really... It struck me. It made me so sad. I think, how can someone know Christ and the sacrifice that he made and the blood that he shed upon a cross and the pains which God made and went through to show us he's his instrument for forgiveness and that Jesus willingly laid down his life and yet you don't want to lay down your life back in return. Will you feel bow your heads and close your eyes with me? We're going to enter a time of prayer. And just ask those two questions again. What am I going to do with Jesus? I mean, it's pretty obvious. There's not a lot of guesswork of who he was. God made it painfully clear that This is the one. This is the one I've been talking about literally for thousands of years. He is my solution for everything that is busted in this world and everything that's wrong in your life. Jesus is the answer. The question this morning is, do you believe that? Not that I like Jesus, question is, have I submitted my life to him? Have I opened my heart up to him? Have I called out in desperation saying, God, I need your forgiveness and Jesus, you're my only hope. Listen, if that's where you are this morning, I praise God for that because the good news is that Jesus wants to come into your life, restore a relationship with God, let fill you with his presence and give you a new life today and eternal life in heaven. So you can just, your heart to God, just pray to him and say, God, I need forgiveness. I stand guilty before you. And all the other things I think I need in my life, the reality is the one thing I need more than anything else is I need a savior. And so today I turn to Jesus to save me, to forgive me, for God to accept me, to become a child of the living God, to be born again and made new, 
to get a do-over in life, to get a home in heaven, I say yes to Jesus today. Man, if that was your prayer and your heart's cry, the angels in in heaven are rejoicing and your heavenly Father is smiling down upon you and Jesus and his spirit have invaded your life and now live in you. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And for those of us who know Christ, same question, what are we gonna do with him? Was that just a minor detour in your life or has that been a major turning point in your life where Jesus intervened and you just have never been the same? He went through great lengths to become your savior. He went through an incredible torture to pay for our sin. And when he says, I want you to follow me, that isn't a token says, I want you to take the focus of your life off of yourself and to put it on me, that you would follow me, that you would desire me, that you would live for me, that you would make life about me above all other things. So this morning, the invitation may simply be, how about a fresh start? How about a do-over? How about from this point forward, God, you can have more sway in my life. You can have all of me. I want to lay down my life because you laid it down for me. Father, you put your spirit in us. So that prayer isn't empty. It's possible because the same power who rose Christ from the dead, that same power lives in us. We ask for your help in it. In Jesus' name, amen.